Hi, my name is Robert McMahon. I'm the Connection Director here at Covenant Church, and I'm thrilled that you're listening. If you're checking us out for the first time, welcome. We're so glad that you're here, and I'd like to take this chance to invite you to let us know that you're tuning in today. We'd love nothing more than to help you start building meaningful relationships and to join you on the journey of faith. Just go to bgcovenant.org connect and let us know how we can be in touch. With that said, let's dive in and listen together to this week's message. All right, good morning, Covenant. All right, as Kyle said, my name is Nick Gillespie. I'm one of the pastors here at Covenant, and uh, yeah, very excited to be able to, um, yeah, wrap up our series, kind of this path of prosperity. We've been looking at and reading through the book of Malachi. Uh, Malachi, uh, the prophet from God, is dealing with uh, God's people, Israel, and uh, Israel is kind of paving their own path. And they don't realize it, but it's this path that's kind of marked by pride and ego. It's kind of about themselves. And because of that, they're missing the promises of God, these promises of a prosperous life. If they would, like, remember him, if they remember his work, and if they would walk faithfully in their daily living. And we've been handling some tough topics uh, kind of throughout the last couple of weeks. Today will not be any different. Um, it will not be any different. So, but I'm really excited to kind of jump into the third chapter. Uh, however, before we get there, I do have to introduce you to this car right here. Uh, this is a, it was a 19, this is a 1985 gem of a vehicle, all right? When this thing hit the market back in 1985, it was uh, brought from Europe to America by an entrepreneur named Malcolm Bricklin. Uh, he was seeking to kind of bring a new car to, to kind of, I think, wow us Americans, I think is what he wanted to do. So back in 1985, I mean, these things were selling like hotcakes right off the press. Uh, dealerships were saying they were lined out 10 deep. People who wanted to buy these cars, you see, they were selling for $3,990. That's a steal, right? That, you're just like, man, how do I get myself into a Yugo? The problem was that once people started driving this car, they realized really quickly it's not great. Uh, it topped off at about 86 miles per hour. You could get up to 60 miles an hour in 14 seconds flat. I mean, that is, that is lightning quick, right? It got its name Yugo because it was manufactured in the communist country of Yugoslavia. If you're under 35, you're like, what's Yugoslavia? Exactly. Exactly. Google it. It was actually manufactured in a, a, a machine gun um, company, fa uh, factory. And so while they're pumping out machine guns, they're also pumping out the Yugo. And it was known that as these things were coming off the press, work, factory workers were getting in, smoking cigarettes with greasy shoes on as they were driving these things off the lot. It was designed to only last a year. And if you got a year out of it, you were one of the lucky ones. It got so bad for the Yugo that Toyota actually ran a promotion that if you buy a Toyota, they'll give you a Yugo for free. Most people declined the Yugo. Like, no, you can just keep that thing. Keep that gem, right? What's the point? The point is this. Based on the way that you produce the thing, it tells you what your values are. It tells you what your priorities are. The way that you make it tells you what your priorities are. And so if you go out, you know, if you seek to manufacture a car that's not going to run well, it's not going to run well. 
And Malcolm uh, Bricklin was actually really not looking to bring a quality car to America. He just wanted to bring a car to America. He wanted to make some money quick. And this is a really easy way for him to do that. And if you know communism, they were not known for producing really great products. It was like, hey, how do we just kind of pump out a bunch of cars and pass them out to people fairly cheaply, right? And so the value, or sorry, the priority was not a valuable car. It wasn't a quality car. All right, there were other values of place. And the way that it was made tells you everything about what they cared about. And so we're going to be in the scriptures this morning uh, in Malachi chapter 3, where God is going to begin to address the people on their priorities. What do they really care about? And the process of how they handle their finances specifically tells the story of their priorities. The process of how they handle their finances tells a story of what their real priorities are. So we'll start with the first two verses, chapter 3, verse 6 and 7. God says this, For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. From the days of your fathers you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Return to me, and I'll return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how shall we return? So we're at this point, there's a little bit of a turn here in Malachi, and God is saying, hey, remember chapter one when we talked about, like, I've chosen you, I picked you, I've never left you, I've always been with you. He's re-going back to that and saying, hey, I don't change. Like, you're still mine. I still want this relationship with my people. Return to me. This word return means to repent, to turn around. Stop living for self, stop living for your ego, and come back to me. So the invitation is still on the table. God hasn't left it. He says, return to me. And Israel asks this question, what do you mean return to you? Like, we're not lost. We're like perfectly okay. What do you mean like return to you? Aren't we good, God? And what they don't realize is that they're completely lost while God is offering them this path of prosperity, while God is offering them life in him and with him, Israel is like, what do you mean? I think of it like searching for a treasure. So if you're like Ponce de Leon, you're searching for like uh, the fountain of youth, right? You'd be like, well, is there even a fountain of youth? We don't know. You know, it's a bunch of wives' tales or something, you know, or Blackbeard's treasure, right? You get like a treasure map that's hundreds of years old. Like we're going to go down to the Caribbean. We're going to try to find Blackbeard's treasure. And you're like, well, but is this map even reliable? It's like, you know, hundreds of years old. However, if someone were to like, let's say, bury a modern-day treasure, then there's a really real possibility that you could find treasure. This is Forrest Fenn. Forrest Fenn, back in 2010, buried a modern-day treasure in the Rocky Mountains. Um, Susie, right here. Uh, this is the guy. Um, back in 2010, he buried a modern-day treasure, roughly $2 million worth of art and jewels and gold. And then he also released like clues to find the actual treasure. Hey, if you want this treasure, follow these clues and it will lead you to my treasure. Something like 350,000 people attempted to find Forrest Fenn's treasure. And only one guy, Jack Stoff, accomplished it two years later. He actually found the treasure somewhere in Wyoming. You see, Forrest Fenn had a real treasure. And he said, if you want to find it, here's a clues, and you can find it. Israel, God is saying, I have a real treasure for you. I have a real path of prosperity. You can come and find it. 
all right? The clue is easy. Return to me. Turn around. Start living for me, and you'll have it. You'll have the prosperity. But Israel's like, does that treasure even exist? Is it even out there? How would you even go about finding it when God is clearly saying, hey, open your eyes and look to me. I've got the promised path for you. All right, let's keep on reading. Verse 8. Here's how we return. Will man rob God, yet you're robbing me? But you say, how have we robbed you? Well, in your tithes and contributions. You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. And thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down on you a blessing until there is no more need. I rebuke the devourer for you and so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil. And your vine in the field shall not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. Then all nations will call you blessed for you will be a land of delight, says the Lord of hosts. So God says, are you lost? or answers the question, are you lost with a, heck yeah, you are. Let's just look at what you're doing with your money. You're robbing me. This is a pretty serious indictment here. God is giving Israel this roadmap back to the treasure, this roadmap, this roadmap sorry, back to relationship with him. If they would reorient the way that they are using their money, if they would repent by the way that they're using their money. You see, if you look in the all over scriptures, but I think acutely if we can jump to the New Testament, salvation, our salvation, and our finances are linked together. And if we think that they're different, there are some passages that we encounter in the scriptures that are just confusing. This would be one of them. Another one would be the story of Zacchaeus. If you know the story of Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus, a wee little man who climbed up a tree as Jesus was kind of walking through town. Jesus finds Zacchaeus hanging out in a tree and it says, hey, I want to come have dinner at your house. Now, this is a big deal because Zacchaeus is a tax collector. He's like, you know, uh, uh, it's like, you know, he's like a gangster, basically. You know, he's commissioned by the government to basically collect taxes. But as long as Rome gets their taxes, he can do whatever. He can exploit people however he wants in order to get wealth for himself. And he does exactly that. So Zacchaeus isn't well-liked. And he certainly wouldn't consider himself a righteous man. And so the fact that Jesus, this righteous teacher, is saying, hey, I'll eat at your house, Zacchaeus is like, how, you know, how, can that, how could you kind of want to come and hang out with me? But he does. And so Jesus comes to his house, house and they eat. In response to this, Zacchaeus says, I declare half of all that I have is going to go to the poor. And if I've ever defrauded anybody... I will give them four times the amount of what I've taken from them. And this is how Jesus responds to this. Jesus says in Luke 19.9, he says, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. So Jesus responds to this reorientation from Zacchaeus about his finances by saying salvation has come. This doesn't mean Zacchaeus has bought his salvation. It doesn't mean he's somehow purchase his way into the club. You can read other scriptures that say our, our salvation is by grace, unmerited favor alone. It is by faith. It is something that God does for us. It comes to us as a gift. If you get a gift, you don't pay someone back for a gift, right? You receive the gift. However, our response to that 
the orientation of our life changes if we genuinely receive the salvation. In Matthew 6, 21, Jesus teaches this, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And so the scriptures tell us that our finances tell the story of our priorities. The way we use our finances, it tells us this, tells a story of what priorities, what we really value in life. And if we value our salvation, this relationship with God, then our finances will reflect just that. Now, you might be thinking, all right, Nick, you've kind of run ahead of me here a little bit. I've got some questions about this text. I've heard this text preached before, and there's some holes. And so let's kind of deal with some of these things in regards to this text, where it's hitting in the scriptures. And I don't know about you, but I've definitely heard several sermons about this very text as well. So number one, this is in the Old Testament, not in the New Testament. And so that certainly changes some things. He's saying bring the tithe back to the temple. What is a tithe? The tithe is 10%. However, we don't worship at the temple, right? We worship at this building. This is not the temple, right? God's people, Israel, worshiped at the temple. The temple doesn't equal the church. Sometimes maybe you've heard that like preach before, hey, bring your whole tithe into the church. Well, the church doesn't equal the temple. The temple was a certain construct for God's people to gather, to worship God, to offer sacrifices to God. But even as we covered in the very first week of Malachi, everything has changed with the New Testament. The temple no longer is a place where we go in order to experience the presence of God. The presence of God now is in us through the Holy Spirit. So there have been some things that change. At Covenant, we clearly teach, and we have taught from up here, that Covenant is not a church building, that the Covenant is a people. We're the family of God. If this building were to like disappear, Covenant's people don't disappear. The family doesn't disappear, right? We're a community. And so in that sense, we can't exactly do like temple equals church. However, we do need to admit that this text is about money. So what we can't say about this text is, well, really money is a way of kind of helping Israel realize like, well, that their real genuine authentic heart has to be like prioritizing temple worship first, right? I mean, this is really just sort of an illusion or an analogy to something other than money. No, it's about money. It's about money because Malachi has not, has been actually very practical all the way through this text when he's dealing with Israel's practices. He was specific about their sacrifices. He was specific about their marriages. And he's specific about their use of their finances. And so this isn't somehow some illusion to something else, you know, some analogy or allegory to something else. This has to do with exactly that, which is finances. Well, the other question we run into is, well, this is the Old Testament. We're now New Testament church. Aren't we under, Nick, aren't we under grace and not under the law of Moses, right? Wouldn't we say, we're under grace. Grace has come. There's a new covenant. Aren't we no longer under the old Mosaic covenant? That's out. And so what God really wants is not our 10%. He wants authentic giving. However that is, authentic giving. Well, that is true. He wants authentic giving. But the law of Moses isn't completely dismissed. In fact, Jesus himself says he came to fulfill the law of Moses. We look at the Ten Commandments, and we don't say, well, we're in the New Testament church, so we can lie as much as we want. We can murder whoever we want to. No, the Ten Commandments are intact, and there's several laws that are still intact 
what we do with our finances would be one of those things. One of the reasons that we know that is that Jesus spoke a lot about money. It was probably the second most topic that he spoke about on top of the kingdom. He talked about God's kingdom and then about money. Okay, so money very much has to do with our worship, our obedience, our followership of God. And so while we're not under the Old Testament Mosaic law in the same way as we are today, that doesn't mean that we're absolved from this text completely. Generosity and giving is still intact. If we look at the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, where Jesus specifically addresses the Mosaic law, in every place, Jesus says, grace expects more. Those of us who are under grace, grace expects more. You heard in the law, don't murder. You know, I say, with your words, don't murder people. You heard, don't commit adultery. I say, don't lust. In every place, Jesus, in the Old Testament, Israel had enemies. And uh, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, pray for your enemies and love them. And so there are every place, at every turn, Jesus says, we are under grace. Grace expects all of you. Grace expects more from us. And so that is true of our finances as well. It, if anything, it doesn't expect less than 10%. It would maybe even expect more in regards to what we do with our finances. Now, this accusation of robbery is pretty strong, right? I mean, like, it's kind of like shocking. Robbing God? Hold up a second. I go to work. I make my money, I earn it, right? So how can God now have demands on my finances? I, I earn it. I've put the work in, I've put the effort in. And in scripture, we know that all that we have comes from God, but I wanted to kind of take a different angle at looking at this. And I want to take a look at this angle of investing because I think it also connects to some things that Jesus teaches in the New Testament. Investing. So if you were to sit down with a financial planner, right? A financial planner would tell you that you should be investing in your future. You should be investing and saving up that nest egg so that when you turn 65, 70, whenever that retirement age is, we've got some new retirees even here in our congregation. They have, they're at that place where they want to now lean into that nest egg, all right, so they don't have to work and they can kind of be freed up to spend more time with family and all this kind of stuff. We invest in our future selves, right? So this is me, I'm 40, present me. A good financial planner would have said, hey, since you were working, which was like back at 20-something, you should have been investing all this time up until 40 and then continue to invest until you turn 60 so that you have this nest egg so you can live off, off of that. Now, here's the deal. My check comes to me this week. But what my financial planner is telling me is that I should take a portion of this for my future self, 65-year-old me. Well, that guy doesn't exist anymore. I might not even make it to 65. So why would I not just use all of my money for me today? And a financial planner would say, well, that's foolish. Because if you do get to 65 and you don't have that nest egg, you're going to be kicking yourself. You see, when we fail to invest our money into our future selves, we're actually robbing our future self. Have you ever done that? You've like made a decision in the past and you get to your future self and you're kicking yourself in the rear because you're like, why did I decide to do that? That was a stupid mistake. And if I fail to invest my finances in my future self, my future self at 65 will be kicking my 40-year-old self and saying, you fool, you should have been more responsible, a better steward of your money. Well, God 
puts, um, God puts kingdom investment, sorry, kingdom giving in this investment terminology. The parable of the talents in Matthew 25. It's not on the screen. I'm just going to read it. Just the first part. Here's what Jesus teaches. For it, meaning the kingdom, will be like a man going on a journey who calls his servants and entrusts to them his property. To one he gives five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. And then he went away. And if you read the rest of this parable, what Jesus is saying is that different people are entrusted with different amounts of money. It doesn't belong to them. It's their masters. The master gives it to them to be stewards for the master's prerogatives, for the master's priorities. And the master says, I want you to invest in kingdom things, to take this amount of money and invest it in growing my kingdom. That's the responsibility. That's the stewardship burden that is put on the servants. When they do this well, as we read through it, they're praised. The master comes back and says, well done. You did a great job. I'm going to entrust more to you. And then the one who had the one talent buried it. Well, he was unfaithful and he was cast out. So in this parable, the talent is roughly like 70 pounds, conservatively speaking, 70 pounds of silver. I mean, it's like monetarily 30 to $40,000. So it could be upwards to 130 pounds, you know, based on, you know, which, which talent measurement you want to use. And so it's not a small amount of money. It's a chunk of money, right? And so for us, our money doesn't come to us all at once, right? It comes to us over a period of every other week, every week, however it is that we're paid. And then in those moments, we have choices of how it is that we're going to use that money. So you've been wondering, like, what this is here for, right? You're like, this is like some sort of game show, Price is Right sort of thing. It is. All right, I'm actually going to use this. It's not as, I feel like Bill and I may be a little bit back here, but. All right, so. Someone mess with this. Oh, all right. Covenant, all my checks at Covenant come in a Covenant mug. I don't know if you know this. This is like a perk of working on staff with Covenant. Like you get your check in a Covenant mug. Um, every popsicle stick, let's say, represents one-tenth of whatever I'm paid. So for you, it could be a certain amount, right? Every popsicle could be $100. Everyone could be $5,000, right? You make a certain amount. And so you look at your budget and you're like, man, I've got, Rent, right? I've got a house payment or rent or something like that. I need housing. That's like an important thing. I don't want to sleep in a van down by the river. I want to have a nice home. And then I've got to eat, right? Like that's an important thing. I've got to like have food and I've got to be able to go to, go to Aldi and Walmart, Trader Joe's, whatever. I've got to like buy my food. And then of course, like I've got to be able to get to my job. So I need some sort of vehicle. And so I've got my car payment and all that kind of stuff. And then Nick was talking about financial investment, and I feel convicted now because I haven't been doing that. And So you're going to invest in your 401k because you've been listening to your financial advisor. And then I would say that there's this other basket. Let's just call it luxury. Let's just call it appetite. Let's just call it what I desire, like what I want. It's a big, broad category, you know, but it's however it is that you want to make your life just feel that much better. And then as we're talking about, there's also God's kingdom. And I think the way that we go about constructing our budget often as Christians, I don't think we deliberately do this. I think we would like to invest in God's kingdom, but I think we do it backwards. I think we start and we're like, man, I've got to like 
buy a nice house, right? I've got to raise a family. I've got four kids. I've got to have enough bedrooms for all of them. Like, that's like a good thing. And then, you know, we've got, you know, food. I've got to like go grocery shopping. That's pretty expensive. And then there's my car. And then there's like gas. <laughs> and then, yeah, let's my financial advisor. I've got to do 10% there, whatever they tell me to do, you know, maybe 15%. Depends on who you talk to. And then we're kind of like down here and we're like, but then there's this thing where we want to live a good life, right? I mean, you could have as many of these categories as you want, but I want to go on a vacation. I want to make sure my kids are in that, you know, uh, on that baseball team. You know, I want to make sure um, that I'm saving for uh, like the new recreational vehicle that I want. You know, I want to make sure that I don't just have clothes on my body, but I've got good clothes on my body. And I think a lot of it is just kind of sucked up here. I should be living on probably making Folgers for myself, but rather I go to Starbucks every day. I should be maybe making my own lunch, but I go out with my colleagues every day. And then we just kind of get to this point where we have nothing left. And I don't think we intentionally do this, but I think we just sort of, you know, end here. We've got nothing left to give to the kingdom of God. You see, the pride's path here is me first investing. Me first investing. It's the monies I possess are from me and for me. I invest my money to realize my needs, wants, and pleasures. I want to bring into reality my needs, wants, and pleasures. And so I'm doing just that, and I just don't get to the place where I can give to the kingdom of God the way that, not covenant, we're not making this up, it says in the scriptures. He says the whole nation is doing this. Now, does he mean the whole nation? No, it doesn't mean like every single person is not bringing in their tithe. There are certainly faithful people among them. What he's saying is that there is a good number, it is a common practice for God's people to not be putting his kingdom first. And he's taking them to task. So we might ask in the American Christian church, how are we at doing this? If you want to Google statistics on American Christian giving, it's not good. Here's some things. Christians give, on average, 2.5% of their income. During the, Great During the Great Depression, it was 3.3%. So we're giving less of our income today than we were during the Great Depression. 17% of Christians say that they tithe regularly. So less than one-fifth of Christians who claim Christianity are giving a regular tithe. And only 3 to 5% give to the local church through the regular giving. And families that make the most, so those that make 75000 or more per year, only 1% of them give the whole tithe of 10%. So those that are making $75,000, only 1% of them are actually giving the full tithe to God's kingdom. Anecdotally speaking, I got on the phone with a friend of mine who's a financial advisor because I wanted to talk about that whole like, hey, what do you see about people investing in their future? Do they really do that or whatever? But he's a strong Christian and he's like, hey, I hear your sermon. I would just say this. He's like, Nick, I have been in this business for 20 years. He's like, I talk to about my faith openly and I have other Christians that I work with with their financial investing. He's like, I've had literally thousands of conversations with Christians. Okay, this is with Christians. He's like, there is only one person 
I've ever had to tell her to stop giving because she wouldn't have enough to retire on. So thousands of conversations, he's usually saying, you should be giving more away. You should be investing more into your future. And only one person, he says, he's ever had to say, hey, you're giving too much money away. You're going to go broke. He said, do you want to know how much she made every year? I said, yeah, I'm curious. He's like $60,000 a year. So it wasn't, she wasn't a millionaire. She just was prioritizing the kingdom first. And there's lots of... Our, Covenant Church, I mean, ever since I've gotten here, I've been here for a little over three years now, we have a rich history. We have a rich history of being rich towards the kingdom. Our history says that we invest a lot in the kingdom and we have invested a lot in the kingdom. And yet, we can't escape the fact that we are also part of the church and the fact that the church, as Christians here in America, we are not generous to the way that God calls us to be generous. And it's really, as going back to the Yugo illustration, it's the way that it's built. If I were to take the kingdom and put it first, building my budget would tell me what's really important. If I build my budget this way, rather than backwards, but forwards, and I build it out that way, then you would see in my life that the kingdom is really my value. It's really my priority because it's first. It's the way that the budget is built, right? The way we build our budget tells the story of what our real values and our priorities are. So God is inviting his people to kingdom-first investing. Kingdom-first investing is that the monies I possess, I don't really possess, I'm a steward of them, but the monies I possess are from God and for God first. All right, I invest my money to realize God's kingdom. Seek first his kingdom and all else will be given to you we seek first God's kingdom, everything else will be provided. And he says one of the places where God doesn't do very often, where he actually tells and invites his people to put him to the test. Put me to the test. See if I'm not good to you. See if I don't provide for you. See if you are not blessed by being faithful to me. So it is true. God wants both quantity and quality of giving. So when we read in the New Testament that we're to give with a cheerful heart, that is absolutely true. But also cheerful heart doesn't mean stingy in number. It means that we're bringing into God what he's invited us to, or invited, commanded for us to bring. Interestingly enough, those that give the tithe, okay, statistically, those that give the tithe, 77% of those that bring, that give 10% of, the, of, uh, of what they make to the kingdom 77% of those give somewhere between 11 and 20% on average. So actually those that give, give a lot because they experience the joy of giving. They experience the freedom in there. God blesses them. I mean, I used to do Christian fundraising in my previous job. I mean, I met people that were seeking to give 90, 95% of what they made away to the kingdom. And there's some people that are gifted in this sort of way. And then seven out of 10 of those who tithe, statistically speaking, seven out of 10 do so from gross rather than net, meaning that even before they pay their taxes, they give to the kingdom first. And so if anything, we have saints, men and women among us that give a certain way that we can look up to and say, man, you know, that's, that's what generosity looks like. At Covenant, we're not worried about our own income. We're in a good spot. We, again, we have a rich history of being faithful with the money that we bring in. 
And yet, God's commandment is God's commandment. And kingdom investing isn't just necessarily here to covenant. There's a lot of different organizations and missionaries doing kingdom work that we can invest in. When I think of investing in regards to quality, I, I think of investing in regards to excitement. Like when I get that bonus check, right, I'm quick to say, what kind of vacation can I buy for myself? What kind of new motorcycle can I get? But what if also with that bonus check, with that raise, I said, man, what new kingdom investment could I make? Our dreams are all right here. What if we started dreaming here? What if we were compelled by the mission of God and the fruit of God and the kingdom of God to give excitedly to the things that he wants? And so our big idea is this, and this is where we're going to close. Put your money where your salvation is. That's what God tells us. Put your money where your salvation is. And he promises us, not covenant, not the elders, not a staff person. I don't promise this. God promises that he will bring blessing. Because I think that there's a direct line between our priority of salvation right to how it is that we build out our budgets. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, these texts can be heavy and not because you intend them to, God, you have just a good plan for us. You have a good purpose for us, God. You want us to trust you. You want us to be faithful to you. You want us to remember your goodness. Um, But man, you also know, God, just the ways it is that our, our world comes in and it just feels like there's lots of demands and expectations on our finances, God. You understand the anxieties and the stresses that we bear with our finances. And yet, God, you invite us to trust you that if we reorient our priorities, if we value your kingdom, I mean, you say very specifically, Jesus, that this burden, this burden that you invite us to is a light burden. This is a nominal burden. So God, as we come before you, as we go about our week, would you challenge, would you correct, would you give us boldness to trust you with our livelihood and to trust you in obeying your commandment of giving generously to your kingdom. Amen. Hi again. Just a reminder to let us know that you're listening by heading over to bgcovenant.org connect. If you're ready to be known, we'd love to know you. And we hope you'll join us soon, every Sunday, in person or online. Thanks for listening.